someone else uh, said, AI is not going to replace your doctor. However, the doctors that use AI may replace your doctor. Good day, and welcome to this HIMSCast podcast. I'm Bill Sawicki, Managing Editor of Healthcare IT News, a HIMS Media publication. Today, we're going to go over some of the learnings from the Machine Learning and AI Forum at April's HIMSS 23 Conference and Exhibition. For our guest today, we're fortunate to have the moderator of the forum, David Metcalf, PhD, Director of Metal.org at the UCF Institute for Simulation and Training. Welcome, David. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here with you. Well, we got a lot to cover, so let's dig into the forum through your eyes and ears uh, and share with our listeners some of the top learnings. So, uh, first, uh, it's super hot, so let's start there. Chat GPT. Um, There was a lot of talk. What was the talk about Chat GPT, and what are some healthcare examples that came up? Absolutely. It's a great place to start because it has a lot of momentum and has been the thing that since November, the newest capabilities of ChatGPT3 and also using GPT3 and GPT4 has really changed the landscape of AI for the consumer, making it more accessible through a simple, almost search-like blank where you can have a conversation within a chat log and also the power behind it too. Some of the things that we talked about and that were talked about by the other presenters through the whole day forum were the ways that you could use it for getting access to clinical knowledge. The validity of that information, is it actually verifiable? And there's still some issues with that too. So it's not all roses out there. Um, Those are some of the things that we want to make sure everybody's aware of. But uh, hearing from people the next day, like Peter Lee, who is head of AI at Microsoft, talking about the fact that they're trying to make sure that the next generations actually do have valid references and resources from, you name it, New England Journal of Medicine, Walter Spur, or from um, places like uh, the Journal of American Medical Association, other places, that that's going to be really important, the validity and the verifiability of that data. So what is that veracity? That was a big topic of conversation and concern amongst anywhere from doctors to hospital administrators to the health IT uh, intelligentsia that were there at this event. But uh, at the same time, people showed how getting a second um, opinion was so easy. Getting um, something that could be put into the language or level of a diverse audience was so important too. Speak in the language that people are used to, not in medical jargon. How can you take that and have it be automatically turned into something that is understandable by your patients and maybe to empower patients. Those are some of the things that uh, hold great promise if we overcome some of the issues that we have with standards, with trust and verification, with uh, validity of information. So um, I uh, heard one person, uh, one of our speakers say something that I thought was really prescient and attributed to someone else uh, said, AI is not going to replace your doctor. However, The doctors that use AI may replace your doctor. So I thought that that was something that uh, was poignant for the whole day in terms of where this technology is is and is going in the near future. That's a great quote. 
and a great way to sum all that up. Um, another question for you, another big topic at the forum was voice, AI, and healthcare. So please elaborate on this subject and its importance to healthcare today. Yeah, three years ago, uh, we had the good fortune of writing a book called Voice, Technology, and Healthcare for Hymns. It's one of the hymns books. And uh, we got 33 of the best voices and uh, uh, practitioners in how voice was changing the patient experience, the clinical experience. And uh, we got to talk about that in the context of AI. The interesting thing in the book, you know, it's a few years old now, but the future section, the last third of the book, a lot of it talked about how things like vocal intonation could pick up Parkinson's through the tremor in your voice and detect Parkinson's through your mobile device or just listening as a smart speaker. We looked at how um, what comes out of your mouth can actually, uh, the breath can actually hold the keys to uh, cancer detection. And we also talked about how AI today was changing the landscape and would change the landscape. We had some great people like the chapter by DeWolf and others that, that uh, talked about the future of AI, what would happen by 2030. And what I found surprising was that the things they talked about for 2030, 2024 starts to look very realistic, maybe even 2023, where we are right now, because of some of these advances with ChatGPT, with other large language models, which is what these brains, these AI brains are basically called, some of the ones out of Stanford, other ones out of Berkeley and other places too, Llama, EMU, ones that you have uh, control over too, other ones from you know Google and uh, from uh, Amazon and others, they all are starting to have them. But how do you make sure that uh, you're going to have an easy to use interface? What's one of our most easy and natural language, natural uh, interfaces? It's to use natural language processing through voice to interface with this. Our little team at University of Central Florida has set up a Alexa to chat GPT interface that is as easy as just asking, I've got to make sure that's not active right here, asking Alexa for something <laughs> and uh, having it trigger and give you, give you feedback and stuff. Those are the types of things that make these AI interfaces very approachable, feel very natural, and also pervasive everywhere. Where is there a place where you don't have an Alexa or a Siri that you need to turn off or that you need to use and enable through your phone, through your wearable, through your smart speaker, through some integrated into building information system or hospital information system. It's just becoming that pervasive. Those are the types of things that we got to talk about in the context of now and the near future rather than the far off future. And that was exciting to see people start to understand how easily that could be used for uh, hospitals that have a large number of people that English is their second language, or maybe they don't speak English at all. How does that help the clinical enterprise? How do you enable people through the ongoing reminders and the ongoing ability to, to talk to some advocate for you in this digital brain of AI that could be anything from as simple as pill reminders, which there's a lot of other ways to do that too, complex conversations that you then have reviewed in conjunction with a doctor, of course, too, or another healthcare provider, too, for physical therapy or for nursing, other areas. So that was pretty exciting to get to share some of those ideas from the book and also to extend beyond that to some of the use cases and case studies from Walter's Kluwer's, what they're doing with up to date. Uh, Freddie Feldner was on the panel, too, and he gave both his personal story about that as well as the professional side 
of how that's helping in his daily life too. So those were some of the things that were pretty exciting. And just for our listeners, what's the title of your book again? Oh, it's a uh, voice technology in healthcare, and uh, it's a hymns title book from hymns media. Right. So it's all all of the family. <laughs> yep. But yeah, those are some of the things that we've been able to do. Okay. Um, also at the forum, you discuss privacy and security. So what is the AI angle here? And and what did attendees learn on this subject? Yeah, so this was a big topic of concern, of course, too, because you have HIPAA and medical privacy, which is certainly regulated, but also just the whole ethics and um what happens when you do a chat log and you talk about a sensitive subject? Who has access to that? Who has access to your your health questions? When you look at ChatGPT and OpenAI has said they keep that for 30 days and only use it to tune the engine and then they, they delete that. They don't keep a long-term record of it. Is that true of other large language model AI? Uh, does it need to be? Is that the way that others are going to handle that that situation? There's a lot of ethics behind that too. And then there's your privacy. Just like each time that you put something into a search blank in most search engines, that's used to tune it to personalize for you, but also to target you into certain things that they, they see that you might want or information or ads they can they can put before you. Those are that's the reality of the world we live in. Is there a potential for a future that is different from that, that has our privacy first and that uh, really puts that forward? Part of why the Linux Foundation and uh, the Open Voice Network decided to uh, sponsor and co-sponsor this, this activity and event was because they are coming up with solutions to that too, in conjunction with HIMSS and other large associations and organizations that care about this. Um, they have something called Trustmark, which Oyeda Coleman, who was on the panel, was talking about. And she had a number of things to say about privacy protection and the standards that are coming around that too, as we look in the face of large language model AI and what that means for doctors, for patients, for patient privacy advocacy. And uh, that's going to be where there's a, a white paper that's just come out in that area, just published about a week and a half ago. And there's also the idea that it's a community that people can join, you know, connected with HEMS through the Open Voice Network and Linux Foundation. Those are some of the many organizations that care about this. There's been whole ethics and privacy and security uh, standards and uh, uh, whole um, petitions signed to slow AI down until you can get those standards in place and that trust and that privacy in place uh, by many of the, the tech luminaries from uh, Steve Wozniak and, and Elon Musk to others too. And then there's others that uh, say, well, we need to at least keep up with it to make sure that we don't get behind any bad actors and do that. So there's a, there's a big uh, ethical debate and discussion there too. The Linux Foundation and the Open Voice Network with this Trustmark program is leaning forward to try and see if we can keep up with what's going on. So that's been, uh, that, was, that was her discussion points and uh, very well received by the audience and something that is really in this podcast, an open invitation to see if it fits with your interests and concerns and to perhaps join. That's great. Um, you just touched on standards a little bit, and and I did want to ask a question about standards. Um, you were talking about them at the at the machine learning and AI forum. Uh, what role do standards play with AI? 
Yeah, I got the cart before the horse a little bit with that too, but uh, some of the most important ones are going to be the ethical standards like Trustmark. But there's also other standards that need to be met and that uh, that AI can conform to. Like how are you going to transmit data safely and securely, meeting HIPAA, using uh, Fire, uh, HL7, and uh, what are some of the ways that you can integrate AI into that process rather than it going around it or trying to do other, other things too. So the good news is you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You have all of the standards that we have now that AI should be able to conform to and help meet, maybe even make some of those processes easier on the human in the loop, whether that's a provider, whether that's the patient or an advocate that is trying to keep your information secure and private. So if we are smart, this technology will help us to uh, meet some of those privacy and uh, data security standards rather than something that gets in the way of that. When I think about these technologies, I never think about them in a vacuum. A lot of the work that we do within AI is tied to federated learning inside of blockchain. And we've got a whole blockchain task force that many of us have been on for a while. And we've got a number of those standards outlined in another book we did for him. It's called Blockchain and Healthcare, a few, a few years earlier than that too. So Hems has been trying to stay on the forefront of these uh, topics and convening some of the best thinkers in those areas. When you start to add AI and blockchain together, you have trust and verification possible within your overall process. This is why some of the biggest health networks are using this to exchange data appropriately with each other, to tie it into pharmacy, to tie it into even your billing and your insurance and claims for, uh, for medical, and hopefully speeding up those processes, making them easier to verify, less fraud and waste, and hopefully leading to better patient care and outcomes. And that was a topic of discussion throughout our talk and many of the talks at the AI Machine Learning Forum that HIMSS hosted. And I think that that's where standards for standards sake versus standards for the sake of the triple or quadruple aim. You know, how do you have better outcomes, lower cost, better, better care, uh, more timely care, and, uh, and also not burn out our physicians? Those are all things that uh, have a huge bearing and that the standards, privacy, data protection, security, really make a difference. Well, I've got one more question for you today. I'd, I'd like to put on your, I'd like you to put on your uh, prognostication cap. Um, where do you see AI heading in healthcare really short term in the next year or two? What, what do you think is going to be happening? Well, I had some shocking news uh, about a week and a half ago that Chad GPT has passed the legal bar exam, has passed the uh, medical licensure exams, MSLE, MLC, has passed the Wharton uh, graduate MBA final exam. <laughs> so if we're talking about where are these brains going, how smart are they really, um, that should be telling for some of us. And uh, then to think about the fact that in an instant, it could take all that knowledge and put it into something that a fifth grader could understand or a seventh grader or a 12th grader and be able to do that on the fly makes healthcare accessibility much more open. My hope is that that's where we go to a more inclusive healthcare. When we look at diversity and inclusion and where we look at 
how we can make health, not healthcare, but just health in general, more broadly accessible using these tools. The promise of a helpful um, assistant there with you that knows a lot, but puts it in the perspective of what your need is. That's exciting to think about. The mass personalization of health and wellness, as well as health care. You know, I know a lot of things in, in HEMS are about health care. We can go further than that. We can go all the way to health and wellness, performance, and do it at a fraction of the cost of what it would have cost. I know that, you know, talking about the money side of it, but that's going to be some of what drives the ability to do this, where it's that broadly accessible. I told a little story of um, a friend of mine in Haiti who only has a cell phone, was able to access and get answers that they needed desperately for some things using ChatGPT. And that's now one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere. And here we are able to combine and connect in that, even in spite of differences, in spite of different country and language, everything, have those results shared with them easily with some level of expertise. It needs to be verified, but with some level of expertise. Think about what that does in our rural communities, in our underserved communities, cities across the US and into our international neighbors, our friends, our partners. Those are things that uh, I think hold incredible promise and where I hope that over the next year or two, we start to really engage. There's certainly the geek out side of me, uh, technology that's gonna have full motion videos to explain every single medical concept that are automatically generated on the fly for your specific condition and the ability to have uh, four or five you know, expert models inside of there alongside four or five human uh, experts and panels to really advance the state of drug discovery and that side of medicine. But for me, it comes down to the human and the machine working together to produce a better result than either one can produce. That's where I think the one to two year excitement is and hopefully sh and should be for us and for many of us in this, this uh, HIMSS community as a nonprofit, large organization that can really have impact to make a difference. All right. Well, that's this week's HIMSScast podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, David Metcalf, PhD, Director of Metal.org at the UCF Institute for Simulation and Training. Thank you, David. Thank you. It's been a delight. And to all of our listeners, look for another HIMSScast coming soon.